This is the Personal Finance Show. Hello, this is The Personal Finance Show, and I am your host, Bo Humphreys. When I go to a conference, I've realized the most valuable part is the time that exists between scheduled activities. This is generally when I meet the most amazing people and have the best conversations. At the Cybos 2017 conference in Toronto this past October, 8,000 delegates came from all over the world, so I was definitely hoping to have great conversations with interesting people from different countries. I got to have many conversations over the four days of the conference, but when I met a group of delegates from Uganda at my lunch table on day number two, I immediately knew that they would be on my podcast. Since my visit to Kenya last year, I've been wanting to tell people about the state of personal finance in East Africa, but my knowledge only scratches the surface. And when I say East Africa, I mean the East African Community, or EAC, of Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, Rwanda, Burundi, and South Sudan. In Canada, we take things like bank accounts, credit reports, and credit scores for granted. We have credit cards and loans available to us from multiple sources. If we have talent, it's not hard to find the opportunity to use that talent to get a paying job or get funding for a business. It isn't that easy in East Africa. My three guests on today's episode are Richard Indahiro, who is a digital finance expert for the United Nations Capital Development Fund, or UNCDF, Ronald Azairwe, who is the Director of Business Development for a fintech company called Pegasus Technologies, and Eric Kamau, who is the Managing Director of a fintech company called True African. Richard, Ronald, and Eric have all made it their life's work to improve the way that East Africans manage their finances. Only 11% of East Africans have bank accounts. In contrast, according to the World Bank, 99% of Canadians have bank accounts. Without a bank account, your cash is at risk. You can't really prove you make any money. You don't really exist from a bank's perspective, and you're unlikely to be able to get credit anywhere. I'm very happy that Richard, Ronald, and Eric made the trip from Uganda to Toronto to join me in an inspiring conversation about bringing opportunity to those who need it most. Uganda is one of the six East African nations. East Africa is a block of regional countries that have come together to try and um, work towards economic prosperity of their citizens. The ultimate goal is in fact to to have a political federation, but I think that's many years off. What we are doing right now as East Africa, um, Uganda being one of the East African countries, the others are Kenya, Tanzania, Rwanda, Burundi, and the latest additions are South Sudan, and I think Somalia is also applying to join uh, the East African community. So that is the block of countries that have come together and realized the need to pursue interests that will help their citizens. So they're removing things like the non-tariff uh, boundaries, goods can cross from one country to another, services can cross from one country to another, labor can move from one country to another without any restrictions. And so all of that is meant to try and 
ultimately lead into some sort of political federation of those countries. So Uganda is one of those countries. Similar to the European Union. Indeed, yes. Yes, that sounds like a fantastic idea. So, Ronald, what is your role at uh, Pegasus Technologies? As, as you've rightly said, my name is Ronald Azedwe, and uh, I am a director at Pegasus Technologies. Pegasus Technologies is still a small institution that began with two people and has now grown up to 35. What we really focus on is trying to digitize payments within Africa and ultimately within East Africa. Now, when I say that, it's because a lot of the payments uh, in Africa and in particular in East Africa are highly cash-based. So it's a cash-denominated economy. And we're trying to use technology to remove cash from the system and allow people to make payments for goods and services without the need for physical cash in their pockets. And, and what, what is wrong with just paying for everything with cash, especially in East Africa? Cash has its own attendant problems. One of the things that, of course, is a problem with cash is that there's so much risk carrying around money because of the large sums that are involved in transactions, people are at risk of their lives when they carry large sums of money. There's also issues to do with, of course, the way money changes hands. There's a change and um, you know, having to change money from one person to another, breaking down large notes into smaller notes. Uh, so all the attendant problems of cash, especially the security of the people that are carrying cash, but also such things as cross-border transactions with cash. Right now, they... I was explaining that the countries are coming together to help their citizens, but one of the things that still are sticking out issues is that each one of these countries has its own currency. I was going to ask that, so you uh, can't, yeah. So you can't really move across borders with different currencies. And there's those no are some euro of the things. There's no any, euro, there's like that. no, there's no Whatever it would be called. Ultimately, it might become the shilling, but of course the Rwandese and the Burundians use francs, and so... Um, so you would probably just pick one and, 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 yeah. and use that. Yeah, so, but exactly. Until that point, we are still stuck at a place where each country has its own currency and, and that means trade is still a bit of a problem because you have to have checks changed. Awesome. This is uh, uh, Richard. Yeah, my name is Richard Ndahiro. I work for uh, one of the UN agencies, the UN Capital Development Fund, and we support the financial service uh, providers, be it banks, microfinance institutions, fintechs, to try to promote what we call financial inclusion. So getting people who don't have access to financial services to be able to access those services. Can you give me just a, a brief example of someone who wouldn't have access to financial services and why? So in Uganda today, only 11% of the population has a bank account. Wow, that is incredible. Yeah, so I don't know what the percentage is here in Canada. It should be in the 90s. Then, yeah, yeah, but probably. one in 10 people has a bank account. Wow. So all the rest, the 9 in the 10 or the 90%, wouldn't be able to save in a bank, get a loan from a bank or get an insurance product. And that's where the mobile phone is bringing a revolution in how people access financial services in Uganda and in East Africa. So Ronald that you've just talked to and the rest of the team that we are with here at Cybos are actually leveraging mobile technology, mobile phone technology, to get the 90% of the people that don't have a bank account to at least have a mobile phone-based account. So why do they have a mobile phone and not a bank account? How is it so easy to get a mobile phone? Is it This is the telecom companies uh, perpetuating this? Yes, so the thing about mobile phones is that today around 55% of the people in Uganda have a mobile phone. 
and mobile phones are not more than 15 years old in our part of the world. Now, 80% have access to a phone, so it's either they directly own it or can get it from another family member. So they might uh, share it amongst yes. various people. Yes, and my colleagues will tell you what one can do with technology on a phone, but with a phone in a person's hands, they are able to access a variety of uh, services that they wouldn't access from a bank. And this is because banks are only in the major towns and cities and have not spread out to the deep rural areas where most of the people live. I see. So it is more expensive for banks to reach out to those people if they have to set up branches like we know them in the rest of the world. Yes. So the mobile phone provides a remote tool access services like opening an account. And so where we would think that you might just go and tell the banks to start opening branches, instead you're focusing on the more accessible thing which is getting everybody mobile phones. Exactly. For, uh, at least first. Yes. And, and Yeah, go ahead. And then, so acquisition of a phone is, is natural. People are getting phones as much as they can. Of course, these are not your smartphones of this world. These are feature phones. Okay. But like the colleagues will tell you about what they are doing in trying to develop solutions that use these feature phones and can help people to uh, access a bank account, send money, save on the phone, and actually be able to get a loan that is uh, via the phone. So I'm going to move on to Eric over here. Maybe we can talk about what saving on a phone might look like. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, this, you know, this is the last day of Cybos. Yes. It feels like, I don't know, I feel like I've been here forever, don't you? <laughs> yes, it's been a long week. Long week, but Lots good week. To see, good Lots week. to see. Lots to see. Yeah, you uh, probably had a lot of good interactions with people. Yes, but like I said, there's quite a lot of people to see here, so you, you're not able to see everyone. So Eric, tell us a little bit about what you do and how it's helping East Africans become more bankable or access to money. The new word for companies like us is fintech. Mm -hmm. And so we develop solutions that are accessed using mobile phone technology. Like Richard said, there are very few people that are banked in, in our part of the world, in East Africa, mm -hmm. and especially in Uganda. And we're trying to bring technologies that will get them banked in one way or another so that they can then access, we can, they can have credit history, for example, if they had some sort of transactions and be able to access loans or credit facilities to then enable them to, to do a number of things. Basically, just bring them into a, a formal setting that would allow them to further the businesses, their farming, their education, health, a number of different things, yeah. Can you take me through a, a transaction right now? So, say someone has a farm and they want to go and, say, sell uh, let's say it's eggs. Let's say they have eggs from, from chickens. How do they go about selling that? And then how do they go about getting paid for that? And then what do they do with the money that they get? Uh, I mean, typically, how does it work? Like maybe before you, you step in and try to help. Today they would take their farm produce and they would have to go either to the market or look for a broker that will purchase it. Sometimes there'll be somebody that will come to the farm gate and purchase their, their produce. And that produce will be purchase at the price that the broker determines. So they have the power? They have the power. Okay. In a scenario where you digitize them, mm -hmm. um, there might be a marketplace that they could, they could offer their, their goods and services and the person doesn't have to come to them. There can be through cooperative unions where there's a central location that they would collect um, their produce. Okay. 
Um, and from that, from that uh, central location, the cooperative union can then pay them digitally. Okay. So, for example, they would send it on a mobile phone, reducing the amount of time that it would take them to come back to get paid. Probably some travel, some walking, some, or some travel, that kind walking, of thing, or, or um, just um, time away from whatever they were doing. Yes, and once they've received the money on their phone, they're then, they're, they're then able to go to an agent and draw this money. But I think that greater than drawing the money from an agent is to create an ecosystem that allows them to pay for other goods and services. Yes. It could be for education, it could be for health, it could be for uh, their grocers. So you, you create merchants or agents that they can go to and use the money that they've received on their phone at that location. And then you, you sort of create an ecosystem where it doesn't have to be about cash, you know, and the money remains in that, in, in that ecosystem. It's a digital marketplace. Digital marketplace. Uh, yes, Richard? Just to complement what, what Eric was saying, so currently most of them pay with cash. Yes. Now, in your world here, if you earn a salary or you have a business, the banker is able to see proof of your turnover. Yes. cash flow yeah and it's on that basis that they can lend money to you yeah they can look at your history now think of the farmer who's selling their eggs mm-hmm. and receives cash if they went to any lender however big or small they would be it's hard for them to prove the amount of income and expenditure they that don't they know do. them now the advantage of digitizing payments if this farmer is able to sell their produce digitally and be paid digitally and also make many of his or her expenditures digitally, then there is traceability of their cash in and cash out, of their cash flow. And then the lending institutions are able to, based on that, to be able to give them, say, a working capital loan or an emergency loan or to propose to them an insurance product that would work for them. And that's where the advantages or the dividends of uh, digitization come to. Because many of these people might have business ideas, uh, great business ideas, but a bank can't take a chance on somebody that they don't know, no matter exactly. how great the idea is. Exactly. So a person is earning money, they have a small shop, but a banker won't come in and accept any paperwork that talks of their cash flow and capacity to pay back, unless there is sort of a digital footprint to those transactions. So I'd like to add that because um, most of the community is agrarian in nature, mm-hmm. a lot of their produce and therefore their incomes are seasonal. Okay. Now that means that they, they can only get money at the time of harvest. However, the needs in life are not seasonal. I mean, you need to take your children Absolutely. to school all the time. You need to go to hospital all the time. So what we are doing also, we are enabling what we call consumption smoothing. Mm. So that even when someone has not yet received the money due to them, they are able to go to these merchants who accept mobile money as a form of payment, consume goods and services, and then pay later when their money arrives. So that has helped smooth out the consumption and the, and the expenditure of some of these farmers. So rather than waiting for three months for their crop to mature, to be sold, and then to receive money for it, they can now go ahead and spend against some sort of money they expect. And then when that money comes, the institutions that are giving them these goods and services are able to claim a share of that money even before the farmer receives it. And this this credit, uh, as you will, would be extended based on, a, say, a previous year's crop and, yes. and sort of proof of that. Maybe the banker or the merchant has seen this and so they know that that's going to come. Part of actually what we do is we provide this kind of information where the merchant is able to see how much money is owed to this farmer from the cooperative union or from a customer that's going to pay them. So they know that this farmer is, say, worth 
500,000 shillings mm -hmm. and it will come in the next two, three months. So they go ahead and lend them goods or services, a line of credit if you like, based on that, mm -hmm. with the knowledge that when that comes, it will then pay out for, for that. And this covers, as you said, consumption smoothing. So for, for daily needs, it's not necessarily addressing the loan for future expansion. That would be a separate and thing that the banks... Two, two kinds of things. There's, there yeah. are those that lend cash for expansion of business, mm -hmm. and there are those that allow this individual to go ahead and spend against money they don't yet have. And just have so, a more comfortable life. A more comfortable and, life across the year, even before their money comes. So around. that's definitely a good start. What would someone do with cash right now if they don't have a bank? Where do they, uh, I don't know who wants to answer this, but where would they Where would they keep that cash? Strangely enough, they keep it on their person or in the, under their beds or okay. in some sort. So it's, 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 and then of course, because ba cash is bulky, Number one, of course, it's not easy to carry around, mm -hmm. but also it makes them more susceptible to attacks from yes. uh, highway robbers. And maybe to answer your question that, that you asked him previously before this digitization came, these cooperatives that took produce from the farmers would announce a day and say on Thursday next week, for example, we shall be bringing cash and then you can all come and queue up and we shall pay you. So these guys would have to travel on bikes, the farmers travel on bikes for I think the list almost 20 kilometers, arrive at the payment place, queue up from morning till about evening. Each one is has their, their receipts mm -hmm. uh, of the produce that they supplied. And then the person paying would look at the receipt, reconcile with what he has, pay this farmer. Now, everyone in the whole community knows money is coming today, money is being paid out today, and to the following individuals. Might as well post it all over the internet. I know, and that would so. get everyone to show up and take their money. That's true. So, uh, this is fascinating. And, and now, I, I'm under the impression that people would have money for long periods of time. I had just had that thought, but maybe they're going ahead and spending this on other things right away so they don't have that much cash on them. Yeah, and that's, the, that's one of the disadvantages of having lots of cash mm. uh, at a certain period on you all the time. So it's not saved. Not saved. Not yeah, making any uh, money. It's not making any money. It's not safe with you. And... It doesn't allow you to eventually go to a bank and, and get a loan in, in times when you don't need money. But I'd also like uh, the colleagues to elaborate a bit on how they are complementing the banking sector in Uganda to avail financial services to these low-income uh, people. This Cybos conference has been a lot about banks and fintechs. We've heard a lot about the typical fintech in this world, but the fintechs in our world are also complementing the financial sector the banks in areas where they've not been able to perform for all this time they've been with us. So Eric, what kind of uh, solutions now are possible solutions are you working on to connect the people with the banks or the telcos in the banks? As true African, we, we went into the rural areas hoping to digitize uh, village savings and loans associations. These are typically groups of peasant farmers that will come together and they will contribute a dollar a month each and, and use that money to on lend to themselves and, 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 and sort of create their own credit society. So when we went down there to, to try to digitize them, the cost of a transaction for them to, so for example, they've got a box. There's this savings box that they have that usually has three locks and the treasurer, the chairman, the vice chairman will have those and they'll congregate and then they, people will contribute and then some people will be given a loan during their weekly meeting. And so we wanted to digitize and, and replace that box with a digital box. And we found it difficult because 
there's a cost of, we use the USSD technology because of feature phones. Okay. So USSD, the, the session itself is expensive. The cost of their, uh, of their contribution through mobile money is also expensive. And I say expensive for them because if you're saving a dollar and it's going to cost you 40 cents, then you're not going to use the technology. Where does the cost come from for this? Telecommunications charges mainly and, and mobile money charges as well. And this is not a, a digital box that I can see. It's somewhere in the cloud. It's somewhere in the cloud. Yes. So what we've had to do is that we've had to set up a financial institution, a microfinance institution, and we're piloting it with 20 such groups. Typically, they require about $1,500 to $3,000 per group that we can lend to them. So we lend them this money, and they only lend it to their members for a higher percentage. Okay. And, and for us, the percentages that we're charging them is not so that we can make money. Yes, there's going to be some money that's going to go towards running the institution. Of course. But then most of that money is to go and subsidize the cost of, their, of our digitizing them. The whole concept is you're not trying to, well, if they don't have banks already, you can't charge them bank fees that they can't pay. Yes. So this is the solution that we're trying to do. While we lobby to have those charges reduced, especially for the rural folk that should be using this, these services. So the telecommunications industry, are they uh, regulated in any way in terms of like yes. how much uh, yes. they're charging sorry, the customers? They are to a certain extent, but then the regulator cannot really enforce how much they charge. Mm. In Uganda, you've got two players that are more or less neck and neck, MTN and Airtel. And then you've got a, a number of, of, of smaller ones. So it's, it's a market forces sort of scenario where prices will be lowered because it's a free and open market. And so how does lobbying go in this circumstance? What kind of process is this for you? A long, long and grueling one for the future? So, yes, but then we've got partners like uh, UNCDF mm -hmm. that are working with us. Richard. Who is Richard and, the, and, and also the, the Gates Foundation is also there trying to bring down the cost of, of, of these transactions so that we can bring more people from the unbanked or the underbanked into a formal setting. Part of what we are doing to try and take banks down to the population is what we call agency banking. Okay. You asked Richard earlier here why phones have reached individuals and banks have not been able to do mm -hmm. that. Uh, banks have been reluctant to do that because of the, the cost of setting up a brick and mortar presence. Mm. Now, what we are doing with banks is we are saying, look, you don't have to have a brick and mortar presence. Any side shop or any can potentially be part of your bank in, in what we call agency banking and they should be able to take and to pay out uh, to an individual that has an account and you don't have to have a member of a bank staff uh, at that location. Mm -hmm. And so banks are beginning to realize the, uh, the benefits of agency banking and many of them are saying, fine, if you guys can extend me to these people through agency banking, I'm more than happy to open accounts for these people, I'm more than happy to develop products for them as long as I don't have to have a brick and mortar presence or a member of staff there whom I'm paying. So Perfect. that's also going quite a long way to, to bridge that gap. So you guys are doing this and then the eventual result is the history and the credit score a report that they will be building and then they can start growing businesses and then perhaps when there's a certain number of legitimate or real people from the bank's eyes in a community then maybe they will think yeah, about a bricks and mortar or having at least representatives in the area this is all pretty fantastic and i think it's important for canadians to hear about all of this i want to also know about your uh, your personal stories and why did you want to get into this can we start with you ronald 
Sure. Um, I was working for a utility company, and one of the challenges we had, I, I was the I, in the IT department, and one of the challenges we had was that our offices open to payments only between 8 and 5. Mm. At 5 they close. So what that meant was our customers could only come to our offices with cash, pay for our utilities. So that meant that at the time the customers should be at work was also the time we expected them to come and pay. So people were always behind <laughs> Sounds on their impossible. Payments. Totally impossible. So management put it to us to find a way of making sure we can allow people to pay for their utilities without necessarily coming to our offices. The limitations were two. Number one, we had few branches where these people could pay, but also our, our hours of opening coincided with the time people were in the offices. Mm. So they said, look, can't we find someone who can receive money on our behalf at any time? And that was also the advent of mobile money in the country. So we figured, look, we can actually take this novel idea of mobile money and allow people to pay for their utilities uh, over mobile uh, technology without having to come to offices. When we did that, the collections of the utility companies shot up by over 70% wow. in just the first month. And subsequently, it has always been up and up and up. So, and How long ago is this, Ronald? We were talking uh, 10 years ago. 10 years. Now, when that happened and we saw the power of this, I decided it was time for me to start a company okay. uh, that allows the people that flexibility. Because it was not just aiding the utility companies, but even the people had much more control, had more, much more power on their mobile phones. Mm -hmm. And so I figured there was a need for me to take this and, and proliferate it and make it available for everyone else. And so that was the story of how uh, Pegasus Technologies started. So we went out and uh, using that same technology we developed for the utility companies, we went out to banks, we went out to tax companies, we went out to, and everything uh, from then on, as they say, is history. That's amazing. Eric, I'm sure you have a story about how you came to be in this business. Where did you start? I was working for a television network. Okay. And every quarter we went down to South Africa um, to meet our exco. Um, at the same time I had a side business, I was a dealer or a distributor for then Celtel, uh, Celtel Uganda. Okay. And I had a friend that lived in, uh, in Johannesburg. And he met some developers that were doing something interesting with SMS where they could turn an SMS into a ringtone or into a picture message and, you know, it was... This sounds like, like early days. How long ago was this? 2000, yeah. 2001. Okay, yeah. And so I thought it was an interesting thing and I came back and I did some homework on it and he introduced me to them. Interesting thing is that he introduced them to, to them, me to them as a director of Celtel not as a dealer okay. or, di or, or dis there was some sort of confusion yes. there. And so they were so keen to, 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 to work with me. And so um, later on, a friend of mine was uh, sitting in a bar somewhere and he overheard a, a, a group of young, young guys talking about this, something that was very similar. And he organized for us to have lunch the next day. And when I met them, they were indeed, they had indeed developed something similar to that, but they didn't have access to the telcos for them to be able to go and, 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 and sell this. Okay. Um, so I was able to take them. I was then able to, to buy into the, into, into the company. And then from there, it's been a natural, natural progression. In 2002, we launched the first real-time mobile banking application with a bank called Nile Bank which later was bought by Barclays Bank. It's Barclays Bank uh, Uganda today. Okay. And it's just been a journey of um, continuous improvement um, in the uh, mobile financial services space. And what's your motivation, and I could ask all of you this, what is your motivation to improve 
the, the banking. I mean, you could be doing anything else. You could be working in TV still or just working for the telcos. But what motivates you all to improve you know, East African banking? Okay, for me today, it's about improving lives. I want to be sort of, they call it uh, social enterprise, but that is a hybrid. You're helping people, but you're also making money. Mm -hmm. A lot of us start out wanting to make money, but that's changed for me in many ways. I'd like to see our African uh, brothers and sisters rise up um, because digitization has been, has been there for them, has aided them to, to come out of the um, hardships that they have today. That's amazing. And I was at the Elevate Toronto Festival a few weeks ago, and Julie Hanna is the chair of Kiva, which is an organization that helps small businesses that can't help themselves with micro-lending. And she said that talent is universal, but opportunity is not. And what you're talking about is people who would never, they, they might be the smartest person you ever met, but if they can't develop their idea or find any funding or you know, even just buy a, the tool that they need to make the prototype or whatever it is they're working on, we will never hear from them. They could be the next Bill Gates. And so this is fantastic what you guys are doing. I want to know, Richard, how does one get into the UN and uh, what, what's your uh, path? Uh, to there? Well, so my background is in development finance. I did uh, development economics in uh, university, okay. ended up working for a bank and then for an international microfinance network. So all through my journey, it's been financial services, but for the low income segments. Mm -hmm. you know, banking for your typical segments <laughs> is an old profession that is very mature mm -hmm. and gets boring. Yes. But banking for the low-income segments, what we call the bottom of the pyramid, is something that is just coming up and evolving quickly, especially that it's the new technologies that are enabling this to happen. So naturally, I've gone from banking into microfinance, which is for the smaller folks. And then lately, technology is becoming the biggest enabler for getting the low-income segments to access finance. And that's how I got to join UNCDF's program called Mobile Money for the Poor, which is basically getting mobile money to become an enabler for the poor to access financial services. And indeed, it's, it's very exciting. It's all new stuff. So different innovations by fintechs, getting to support banks to also be innovative, getting to support microfinance institutions to embed technology and innovation in their old business models. And do you think, you know, I, I've seen the movie Queen of Catway, which yeah. is uh, a kind of Uganda got to yes. the rest of the world a little yeah. bit. I, I hope that that is a positive thing for you. Do you think that by focusing on fintech and improving the banking system and access to money, do you think that this is the first step to spreading social services throughout? Because there was that one uh, scene in the, in the movie where uh, the, I think the kid got hit by a bike and, and they couldn't afford to fix him and they had to run out of the hospital. And I'm sure this is not a, an uncommon thing. Will you correct, please correct me if I'm wrong? Yes, that's not uncommon. Um, so, so first of all, it is uncontested that access to financial services improves the livelihoods of people. Mm -hmm. If you have a bank account and are able to save, then you're able to take care of uh, cases where, emergency cases where you get to need uh, emergency health care. And perhaps have credit. You're able uh, to have credit use. and then you can get your innovative idea and get it to, to go to market. 
that is number one. But what we are also seeing is that digital financial services are enabling other different utilities. Water. He gave an example of how mm-hmm. mobile payments enable them to improve the water supply sector. So in our typical countries, access to piped water will be scarce because it's hard to roll out the network to many other areas. But that's also because they are not able to recover most of their payments. So when mm. you improve the payment process, you give them more finances and they're able to roll out water to different places. That's fascinating. Today, digital financial services are also enabling, mobile money is enabling people to access energy, solar energy specifically. There is something called pay-as-you-go solar, which is basically a solar kit that is enabled by a a meter that can switch on and off every time you don't pay, such that you're able to acquire a a solar kit that costs, say, $200 or $300 Mm -hmm. and pay for it over three years or two years or even one year, depending on your capacity. And that is all enabled by mobile money. And then you can charge your phone. You can charge your phone. You have light for the kids to study uh, at night and be able to pass. You get out of uh, using all these uh, hazardous... smoky kind of uh, of lighting okay and that wasn't wouldn't be possible if we didn't have access to mobile money payments it's incredible how it just rolls across everything yeah. and there are many other innovations coming up around mobile money because look at every service or good that has to be accessed there's a payment behind it always a payment and if if that payment can't be made in a secure way then those services won't reach some of the people they need to reach. So you could think of the health sector, the water and sanitation sector, energy sector, agriculture, even paying school fees. If you're able to provide for easy and efficient modes of payment, especially here we're talking of installment payments because people don't have the lump sums, mm-hmm. then you're cracking the puzzle of access to some of the essential services. I so, something else yes. we shouldn't lose is the demographics of East Africa. We have um, almost 70% of the, of, of the people in East Africa below the age of 25. Really? And 85% below 30 years. Wow. And all of these people now have access to education. So we have a, a young population that is becoming educated. And all of them have appetite for technology. They have appetite for these new things. And so for us, it's exciting times because now you're handing people the power to actually like he says, innovate mm-hmm. uh, at, at a very high rate, yes. but also to absorb new technologies because they're young, they're highly educated, and so it's very exciting times for us. And handing them this opportunity every day for us is what spurs us on to make sure, I mean, we are amazed at the kind of talent that comes out of universities, out of schools, out of even rural areas. People are astute enough to understand smartphone technology, to play around with it and to innovate around it. So we see a lot of... Um, employment that's come up just over this mobile money technology thing and so it's very exciting times for us this is very inspiring so ronald and and everyone what uh, so a lot of canadians will be listening to this what can we do to help is there anything that we can do as canadians to help you guys progress or you know east africa um, I think one of the biggest things that already has helped us is such interactions with uh, people that have um, 
fintechs in more developed countries to understand the products you people are doing. Mm -hmm. um, we, we pick up, the, I mean, like I said, people, because people are now going to school, they have, they have desires for e-commerce, they want to buy things offline. Just understanding how you people are doing your things for us is, is, is such a big plus. So it, it's not so much handing through something that we can take back home, sure. but the level of interaction, the level of, of such discussions that we've had with our peers from your uh, from your institutions, that for us has been extremely helpful. A connection and awareness uh, of what, what's happening around the world. Eric, did you want to say anything to Canadians about what they can do to help Uganda, help East Africa? We live in an amazing place. You should come down and see and feel what our people are going through. Assistance, for us, we could do with more partnerships with, with organizations from here that are looking to do stuff in the same line. And from this conference, we've also learned that there are some people that are in the same boat as some Africans that require some sort of digitization that are unbanked okay. in Canada. And we hope we can find some sort of synergies to, to, to work both ways, where we could also bring our technology here and provide it to those unbanked people. We'll continue uh, to try to help each other. Yes. And finally, Richard? Mr. UN. Yeah, so there's, uh, there's a lot of great stuff happening in our part of the world. It's not just about uh, Queen of Katwe. Those that's are the stories that get to emerge here. But it's how you lot. get to the general population, but you're right. That's, yeah, it's there's just a lot happening, one movie. but there's also a lot that needs to happen, and that's what keeps us uh, awake at night. I would say, so the team that came here actually represents the FinTech Association of Uganda, mm -hmm. and we support them to come and see what is emerging in the world of technology for financial services. Just like you know, I mean, technology, we are still using future phones. Mm -hmm. Technology here has gone towards smartphones. Blockchain is coming. A lot is evolving in the, in the technology for financial services sector. And I think attending the Cybos was one, an eye-opener for uh, the team that came to try to understand where the markets are going and for them to keep innovating towards, towards that end. And also that technology enables, uh, someone said, it flattens the world. The technology that is available to the fintechs here is available to the fintechs back home. And if they can use that to improve the livelihoods of the people while making money, that's what we, we are all looking for, forward to. So in terms of how Canada and the rest of the world can help, I think the first thing, just like you said, talent is universal, but opportunity is not. There's opportunities to partner with some of these uh, very innovative and smart minds across uh, East Africa for win-win situations. You are not just doing good, but you're also earning money. If you go to visit uh, his office, Eric's office, and saw what he's doing, you'd be amazed at what his team of developers do and probably how they could support some of the developer teams here working on the same on the same thing. So. It's always, I mean, what we are looking for is mainly partnerships, opportunities to learn, and collaborations to push forward the betterment of humanity. Well, that's a great way to end, Richard. Thank you so much for taking the time today Pleasure. to talk to me. And Eric, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Bo. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and uh, we'll thank Ronald remotely. He had to go. But so this has been very great. I appreciate it. As Richard said, everything is connected to some kind of payment. Energy, transportation, education. And easier access to money through a digital marketplace that is connected to all those things means that someone can manage all of their financial obligations, store money, and even save money 
with nothing more than a mobile phone. Well, that's it for the Cybos interview series. I feel very fortunate to have had the opportunity to meet all of the people I did at this year's conference. It's not every day that you have the whole world come to your city. There is one more episode coming for 2017, and that's a special holiday giving episode featuring Todd Bender, founder of a Canadian charity called City Kids. Look for that one on Christmas Eve. Otherwise, I'll be taking a break for the holidays, and I'll be back in the middle of January 2018 to start a new year of great conversations. 